a lot of songs there about giving the gospel, sending out the light, a lot of songs about the boat, rescuing people out of the water, the lighthouse, all of those um, metaphors and pictures. One of those was written by Charles Gabriel, who was a uh, Duluth he, resident at one time, and uh, he attended uh, First Presbyterian downtown Duluth. And, it, and again, at one time, that was just a, a powerful gospel center as it sent out many missionaries and even lumberjacks up to northern Minnesota so that many could be saved. Um, so that, that is our goal. That is our mission. Our goal and our mission is to proclaim the praises of Jesus Christ to a dark world. And it, the gospel message reflecting also a life that looks like Christ um, is, is, of course, very powerful, and, and the Lord can use that. Before we begin the message tonight, um, by the way, this will be the conclusion about our personal evangelism um, series. What I'd like to do is I'd like to ask you a couple of questions and have you respond. Really, just one question. Who gave you the gospel so that you could be saved? I'll tell you what, for me, it was my sister Karen. She invited me here, she gave me the gospel, and then Pastor Lapine found out I wasn't saved, and Pastor Lapine came, and he, and he sought me out, he, he talked to me, he pursued me, and kept sharing the gospel over and over and over again. So really, I had a twofold uh, witness, two messengers coming right to me constantly, Karen and Pastor Lapine, always at me, always at me. And what's that? And, okay, and Dick Peterson before that. See, it was a hard case. Dick Peterson <laughs> opened up one of the locks at my business, or changed one of the locks um, after I had a break in, and he was giving me the gospel. So I was really bombarded on all sides. But um, but at the point where I actually got saved, it was Karen and Pastor Lapine that were right there. So um, who who shared the gospel with you so that you could be saved? Just, I'd like to hear just some people. Tell me who who led you to Christ or who gave you the whis- who gave you the gospel, Steve. All right, Amen. So, pastor led you to the Lord, and um, wow. wow, praise the Lord. So that's a door to door evangelism opportunity. Somebody comes and uh, comes to you. Uh, you went to the church first, or no? no first. That's right, you hid first. Yeah, they were coming on Tuesdays. They went on a different night. So, so even door-to-door evangelism right there is a great example of maybe there are people in our neighborhood that we could knock on the door and say, hey, we're your local church. We'd like to share with you the good news of Jesus Christ. See how receptive they are. That's great. Anybody else? Please, more. Margaret. Okay. Wow. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Amen. So family member, a daughter, Shannon. Okay, somebody in children's church. All right, so a leader in children's church, giving the gospel, and, and a, a girl gets saved. Praise the Lord. Shannon. Who else? Carla. Carla Anderson at Community Bible Study. All right, good. Going to a Bible study. So already, do you see what's going on? We have love, we have boldness, we have consistency, we have prayer. Those are the four things we've been talking about so far. As people are sharing the gospel at a community Bible study, at a, a children's church, a family member, a pastor making a door-to-door visit in the neighborhood. Um, yes, Sandy. My Sunday school teacher. Okay, Sunday school teacher. Wow, so very effective witness for our Sunday school teachers, junior church teachers, Bible study leaders. Great, thank you for sharing that. Who else can just share? Vic. Uh, Tess Lee. 
All right. All right, good. Praise the Lord. So another pastor that... And how did he reach you, or how did he... Did he know he knew your parents? Yeah, well, he was just, uh, just attending uh, on a regular basis. And, uh, okay. Yeah, good. Yeah, he okay, good. So attending the church, good. Praise the Lord. So there are people... Listen, there are people in our church that are coming week after week, and they are not saved. And if you even think of visitors coming, pray for them while... The gospel is being given. It's such a, a, a great and powerful thing. Isn't it neat how not one of us have had, the, of course, the identical approach or the identical way? Anybody else want to share? Yes, Kimmy. Okay, Vacation Bible School. Great ministry, again, of, of the local church. And so VBS, teachers, people involved in that ministry, great. Anybody else? I would, I would guess that many of you um, heard the gospel from your parents, Right? Many of you heard, you got, heard the gospel from your parents. If you heard you got the gospel from your parents or a family member, raise your hand. Just raise your hand. All right, so I would say that is clearly the majority of people. So I would say your home is the number one place to witness. We need to make sure our family members hear and know the gospel. And from there, then we reach out with church ministries and door-to-door visits, all sorts of things. Well, that's good. Well, let's pray. Father, as we think more of the scriptures and just looking for insight uh, from your mind regarding evangelism, just regarding declaring the gospel to those that we care about, really to anybody that comes across our path. I pray that you would inspire us and just put a fire in us, burning, passionate for the gospel, realizing that people are dying and going to hell left and right. And we have the, the good news of a glorious Savior So, Father, we pray that tonight as we think about the message and the messenger, that you would um, just bring us opportunities to be able to declare our faith, to point people to Jesus Christ. And we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so just by way of of just review as we uh, conclude this series, remember the first thing I mentioned was love. In order to be an effective witness for Jesus Christ, we have to have love. Love in our heart. Love that is supernatural is given by the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 5 says that the love of God is, spread, is, is poured apart in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So we really do need a love for people. It's the kind of love that Jesus had. Remember when he's in, going into Jerusalem and he's just weeping? He knows that he's been rejected as the king, as the Messiah, and um, they want an earthly king that will deliver them from Rome, but he's going to pay the price for their sin on the cross. He is weeping for them. He loves them so much. And he says, it's like I'm the mother hen and I'm trying to gather the chicks and you will not be gathered. So you're going to be left out and you're going to be scattered and and killed. That's the kind of love we have to have. It's the kind of love that Paul had in Romans 9 where he said about his own Jewish people that were persecuting him when he said, if it were possible that I could be put into hell if only my Jewish brethren would be saved. That is the kind of love that we have to have that we realize People are dying and going to hell, and we've got the message of hope, the, mess- the only message that delivers. And so when we realize that, that people are, are going to perish, boy, does that, we should have the kind of love that God has for our last world. And I want to ask you, how long ago did you weep for somebody, whether it's a family member, a neighbor, a co-worker, whoever it might be, that we just actually wept for Listen, I don't know who, who died just right down the street here. Um, the 28-year-old that was, that was killed in a, a car pedestrian accident. But 
I just think it's late, but I mean, do we weep for tragic things like that where a life is snuffed out and we don't know where he'll spend eternity? Maybe he trusted the Lord. I don't know. But then I think, wow, we, you know, we need to love people and just think of people as eternal souls. But then after that, we talked about boldness. And we looked at boldness um, that in spite of any pressure, in spite of opposition, no matter what the world may do, that people may say, that we, no matter what, deliver the goods. We give the message out. And it was so powerful for Peter, James, and John, and the other disciples after the, re- after the resurrection of Jesus that they could stand in front of the same council that crucified, that sent Jesus to the Romans to be crucified, and they could declare that this Jesus was die, died, you nailed him to the cross and killed him, and God raised him from the dead. This Jesus is the Messiah. They were super bold, greatly bold, and they suffered greatly for it. But they had, they had love, and they had boldness. But then we look thirdly at consistency, just endurance over time, going back and going back. Look at Paul going back to churches, going back to communities. In Acts 14, he's stoned and left for dead outside of Lystra. What does he do? He gets back up and he goes right back into Lystra, proclaiming the gospel. It's the same attitude that Noah had, day after day, week after week, preaching righteousness. And after all of those years, eight people enter the ark. That's not much fruit for all that effort. But at least he got some of his family. And I bet Noah had a huge family, but only eight. Three sons, three sons' wives, and... His wife entered the ark. But that's the kind of consistency that we need. We just keep going, giving out tracts all the time, giving the gospel all the time. And the more you do it, the easier it gets, really. It gets very easy the more you do it. So we need love, we need boldness, we need consistency. It's like 1 Corinthians 3. Remember when I mentioned that? 1 Corinthians 3, Paul was the one that planted the seeds and Apollos came and watered. It's just constant planting. You're always planting seeds. You're always dropping in the gospel here and here and here and giving it out. Listen, one of the easiest ways, gospel tracts. Just give out gospel tracts over and over and over again. Boy, sometimes people will get so many that then they'll just be tired of it and just read it so that they don't ever have to see it again. But who knows what a great witness that can be. But just consistency. We're always being a witness. I mentioned during that message, the average is seven times that somebody hears the gospel before they get saved. Um, And then the last one that we talked about was prayer. We need earnest, pleading prayer. It's the kind of prayer that seeks his glory above all else. And remember what Paul said when he's in chains? He said, brethren, pray for me with all supplication and all prayers. Pray for me that God would grant me boldness that I might open my mouth. I mean, who does he have to witness to? In the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, he's tied, he's chained to two guards that every four hours change shifts. He has two people to talk to, and he wants boldness to talk and preach the gospel to them. Um, He certainly doesn't have an open arena that he's preaching in, but Paul said still, pray. Pray for me that I'll have boldness. All of our evangelism, all of our love, our boldness, none of that is going to matter if we do not pray. Tell you what, we had some great opportunities to pray on our vacation where when, you, when you're on vacation and you don't have responsibilities, you just have hours to read and to pray and to think. And I'll tell you what, those are beautiful times. And, and we need to have more of that in our life, more, more times of, of deep intercessory prayer. Pray for people to be saved from their sin. All right, tonight we look at the message. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, please. Let's talk about the message and the messenger. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 
You know how you overcome fear in witnessing? Hey, you need to know your topic. You need to know what you're doing. For me, when I'm teaching math, I mean, I know every algebra rule. I know, I mean, I, I know the, the theory behind it. I, so for me, there is absolutely no fear in teaching algebra because I have, I have mastered it. I, I know the basics. I have understood and thought through them, and I can explain them in my sleep. You give me a calculus class, and I'm not quite so ready because I have not done calculus for 25 years. So now you throw me in a calculus class, and I'll have students in calculus come to my room in the morning for tutoring, and I'll be like, uh, uh, Kramer's rule, um, differentiation rules, integrals. And I'm like, I, I think I remembered this at one time, but, and then I start getting a little panicky because I'm like, I'm supposed to help them, and I can't because I don't know a thing about what rule they're trying to use right now. Um, I had students come in needing physics help, and it was all on vectors and weights and forces. You know the last time I did a f- weight and force problem in physics? That was probably 30 years ago. And now they're asking for help, and I'm like, okay, um, I think I can figure this out. It, it, not easy. If you don't know what you're going to say, you're never going to say it. You're, you'll never come to the, to the point where you actually declare it. So what helps me in overcoming my fear and witnessing is, hey, I know my Savior. I know what he did for me. I know what I did to him. All I have to do is explain it. And, and so here's what Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I, brethren... When I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. It wasn't all fancy oration. It wasn't long discourses. It wasn't heavy theological treatises that he was doing when he came into Corinth. You know where he came from when he entered Corinth? He just left Athens. He left Mars Hill. What he did on Mars Hill is debate with the philosophers the Epicureans and the Stoics of the day. He was brought up to Mars Hill. When I was in Athens and I was up on Mars Hill, Dr. Schmidt and other guides as well that were there gave the same, gave the same understanding of it. You were given six minutes to give your, your whole point. You had to declare whatever you had to declare in six minutes. And you were before like a, like a Supreme Court. It was a court of justices. Paul had been down in the marketplace. He's brought up to Mars Hill. He has six minutes to explain his whole faith to pagans. Where does he start? creation. He knows his God. So he starts with creation, and he says, I see that you have a monument here written uh, written to an unknown God. This God I will declare to you. This God is the God of all creation, and all mankind is of one blood, and and that comes from, from God. And he goes on in Acts chapter 17. He gets to the resurrection of the dead, and if you read all of Acts 17, that discourse on Mars Hill, it's about three and a half minutes. After three and a half minutes, he can't even finish the discussion. He's over because he said that Jesus rose from the dead and will come to judge the, the living and the dead. Immediately, his, his time is up. They didn't even let him finish the six minutes. So now, Paul's thinking, I, they knocked me down to three and a half minutes. I couldn't even give, the, I couldn't even give an invitation. You know, I couldn't even get people to come to a decision. What does he do? He goes to Corinth. This is his very next move. And he thinks, I don't know how much time I have. I'm just going to preach Christ crucified. I'm going to get right to it. Christ crucified. He didn't come with excellence of speech or of wisdom. Verse 2, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was it. That was his message. Jesus Christ, he's the Messiah, and he died on the cross for the sins of the world, and he rose again, and if you do not believe in him, you will perish, and you will not have everlasting life. Verse 3, 
He was with the Corinthians in weakness, which means sick health, in fear, which means he was terror. That's terror. He was in phobia. He was afraid. His knees were knocking as he goes into the Corinthian marketplace and he says, I have a message to declare. I know the Messiah. It's Jesus of Nazareth. He was crucified and risen for the sins of the world. I mean, he's, he's not only physically sick, but he's also afraid and in much trembling, shaking. And my speech and my preaching were not, listen to this, with persuasive words of human wisdom. It is not up to you to save people. It is not with your persuasive wisdom of speech that people will be saved. You know what it is? It's the declaration of the message. If you've got the message, that's all you need to deliver. And it doesn't have to be with persuasive, eloquent words. It can simply be, let me tell you about the Savior of the world. His name is Jesus. He's of Nazareth. He lived 2,000 years ago. He is God in the flesh, and he died on the cross, and he rose again from the dead. And if you do not believe in him, the Bible says you will perish. And then, then now it's their choice if they will choose to trust Jesus or not. But you have to know. You have to know. You have to know your message. So let me give you five things. Here's how I do it most often. I usually start with, I have five things that I talk about. Number one, God's demand. I automatically think when I'm talking to somebody about the gospel, number one, I think God's demand. God's demand is perfect righteousness. And I use Revelation 21.27. Who knows Revelation 21.27? Revelation 21, you can remember this. Revelation 21 is all about heaven. 21 and 22 is about our eternal state with Jesus in heaven. So Revelation 21, 27 is that in heaven, there is nothing that defiles, nothing that is an abomination. There is not even a lie in heaven. What is God's demand to get into heaven? Perfect righteousness. You can never sin. You could never have sin to get into heaven. That is God's rule. Only perfect people get into heaven. So what is God's demand? You must be perfect to get into heaven. You must be perfect to get into relationship with him. So I automatically, that's where I start. With the people down in Jamaica, same thing. They're very religious down there. There are, there are churches on every corner. There's a church, and there's a lot of Baptist churches. The problem is they're not preaching the gospel. So right away, I would, I would give somebody a track, and they would say, um, well, I already, I already know all this. I'm like, well, do you know heaven is a perfect place? Only perfect people get in there? No, I didn't know that. I thought, you know, they had no clue. God's demand, perfect righteousness. Second thing I tell people, man's condition. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You could use Romans 3.10, There is none righteous, no, not one. You could use Isaiah 64, verse 6, where, it said, where the prophet Isaiah says, All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Everybody can understand that. And like an unclean thing, they will pass away. So right, right away, we can see that God's demand is perfect righteousness. Revelation twenty one twenty seven. We know man's condition. Every single man, every single woman, every single boy and girl has sinned against God, and therefore we are disqualified from heaven. What's man's condition? We are sinners, unable to get to heaven. Next thing I move right to is number three. God, God made a provision. He has a demand. We have a certain condition. God has a provision. You know what God did? Listen, I'll tell you what God did. God sent his own son, who is God. God came in the flesh. And he walked on this earth, and he lived on this earth, God in human body. He was a human, perfect human. He died on the cross, and when he died, all of our sin was placed on Jesus. And then I explain what a substitute is. 
I usually use an example of money. If Kathy owes me a million dollars and she can't pay me, somebody steps in and pays the debt for her, she's off the hook. But did she pay? She did not pay the penalty. So I use that illustration a lot. And I'll tell people, that's what Jesus did. He took all of my sin upon himself. That's God's provision. And then um, every sin of mankind has been paid for by, by one man, Jesus Christ. That is what Jesus has done. What is God's demand? Perfection. What's my condition? Hey, I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect. What did God do? He gave us his son as a substitute for our sins. He loves us that much. Can you imagine he loves us that much that he would take all of our sin upon himself? Well, then people will be interested. And then I'll say, but you know what God's, um, what, the, what man's condition is? Man's condition? Faith. Belief. Nothing else. God has a demand. We have a condition. God has a provision. I'm sorry, it's man's response. What's our response? Faith alone. And I'll take him to Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you are saved. By grace. By God's love for us that is undeserved and unearned. That's how much God loves us. For by grace are you saved through faith. It is by trusting in Jesus alone. It's not through your works because we just already found out they're all filthy rags. Your only response is faith in Jesus Christ. Trusting him, believing in him. So what is our response? It's all you can do is trust. And then I'll go into maybe your religion will never save you. Your baptism will never save you. Your good works will never save you. Well, that just took about about everything that anybody thinks is worth anything out. And then I'll say, all you have left is a person, Jesus. You need to trust him. And then sometimes if I use an illustration for trust, it's the chair. What what are you sitting in right now? Or whatever object it might be. And I'll say, you're trusting the chair by sitting on it. You're, You're trusting it'll hold you up. You're not doubting. You're not afraid. You need to trust Jesus. Realize that he is truly God in the flesh and he died for your sins. And you need to trust him. You need to believe in him alone, by faith alone in Jesus. Then I end with this. Number five, what's God's guarantee? God's guarantee, you can never lose your salvation. It is eternal life. There's nothing you can do to lose your salvation, your relationship with Jesus Christ. There's nothing in heaven, nothing on earth. There's nothing in the future. There's nothing in the past. There's nothing you can ever do that would take you away from your relationship to Jesus Christ. You are in his family. He will never kick you out, no matter what you do. And then right away, you know what somebody says to me? Oh yeah, well, what if I kill somebody? I'm like, well, you missed the point. Because if you truly understand that Jesus died for your sins, you're not going to want to go and kill somebody. Said, you know, if that was your heart intent and your desire, then I don't think you understand Jesus and grace at all. And so people usually throw that in right there. But that's it. God's demand, perfection. Man's condition, we have all sinned. God's provision, Jesus Christ died for my sins and rose again. What's my response? Faith alone. What's God's guarantee? I can never lose my salvation. It's guaranteed. It's eternal in the heavens. That's the message. Really, that's... Those are just the things in our culture that everybody can, can come to grips with. And so that's what we want to do. We want to just declare simple truth to people that Jesus was crucified. Take your Bibles. Go with me to Acts 22. You know, one of the most effective ways that I use that, Acts 22, it's in my own testimony. Very rarely do I meet somebody, a complete stranger, and go right into that. 
Rarely do I say, hey, do you know God has a demand? And his demand is perfection in heaven, and guess what? You're not perfect. But guess what? Jesus was provided for you, and all you have to do is believe. And then God will give you eternal life, and you can never lose it. I rarely do that to a, a total stranger. What I'll do, though, is I'll say, hey, do you know, you want, can I tell you how Jesus changed my life? I'll tell you exactly how. And then I give my testimony. So my second point tonight, my first point is we need to know the message. You want to have confidence and you want to be an effective witness? You need to know your message. And you don't have to give those exact five points, but you do have to give that Jesus died for your sins, the sins and he rose again from the dead. That's the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. I like to have the fact that our, you know, our world thinks everybody is good, so I like to have, hey, God requires perfection and we haven't reached it. So I like to throw the first two in before I get to the gospel because how can anybody be saved unless they first know they're lost? Our world, our America, our country, we need to know we're lost. World, we, are, we haven't figured that out yet, that we are lost and that we need a Savior. But here, Acts 22. You know this is um, Paul. He's made his way down to Jerusalem. Agabus the prophet told Paul that he was going to be arrested when he gets into Jerusalem. He is not going to get out of there um, without being chained. And Paul goes anyways, and sure enough, he gets arrested in Jerusalem. He's got this huge mob. He's walking up the stairs, and you can almost picture the stairs up on the Temple Mount. And verse, look at chapter 21, verse 40. So when he had given him permission, Paul asked for permission to speak to people. Verse, chapter 21 of Acts, verse 40. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia and brought up in this very city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our fathers, Law and was zealous toward God as you are all today. I persecuted this way. That's the gospel. That's the followers of Jesus. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness and all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there uh, to Jerusalem to be to be punished. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon. Suddenly, a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? He said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of the light, being led by the hand of those who are with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, he came to me, and he stood and he said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. 
and saw him, saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by, consenting to his death, and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. And they listened to him until this word, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth. All right. Because as soon as he mentioned he was going to the Gentiles, the Jewish mob couldn't handle that. They can't handle the Gentiles. But do you see what happened? Paul had the opportunity to declare to his own brethren the gospel. And what did he do? He used his own testimony. There is nothing more powerful, really, than your own testimony, provided the gospel's in it. Most of my witnessing, it's my, it's my testimony. And I can share my testimony in 30 seconds. I could give you a minute version. I could give you a three-minute version. I could give you a 30-minute version. So I, depending on how much time you have and how detailed you want to get, I mean, I could elaborate on any area of those things because I've thought about it. I've written it down. I've practiced it. Do you know what you could do? You could say, you could just write down your testimony. Who gave you the gospel? What was the conditions, the circumstances? What did you know? What did you understand? What did you believe? And you could include all those elements of the gospel. Well, then I understood that I've been religious all my life, but God doesn't love religion. My religion didn't make me any better before God than anything else. But you know what happened? I understood that Jesus Christ died for my sins, and then he rose from the dead. And the very moment I believed that, God changed me. He gave me a new nature. I mean, I could go on to different details depending on how much of the scriptures you know. So number one, you have, you have to know your message. You have to know the gospel. Inside and outside. You don't have to know all the sublapsarian and infralapsarian views of the doctrines and decrees and order of election. You don't have to know those things. You do have to know Jesus died for you and it's by faith alone that you are saved. But secondly, you want effective evangelism in your message? Just use your testimony. You have to practice it. You have to write it down. What are the key points? You know, who does Paul talk about? Paul talks about the people he was with when he gets saved on the road to Damascus. He talks about Ananias coming in. He talks about being led by the hand. He's got all these great details. I mean, I could tell you the very moment that I got saved. That I could even tell you what Pastor Lepine was wearing when he came from Hibbing. Listen, Pastor Lepine was in conferences up in, he was having the MARBC meetings in Hibbing. He drove down every night almost to the, to the hospital to see me. He came down. After being up there, he could have stayed up there for all the meetings, but he chose not to. He came down to visit me, and then he left me one card. He said that's all he had on his dashboard of his car as he was memorizing verses when he was driving. I mean, I don't know. That's what he was doing. He was memorizing verses when he was driving, and he he said, I have one card in his first John chapter 1, 17 through 19. He goes, you know, I hope it helps. I mean, he was very nonchalant about it at all. And so then that night, he left. I can tell you right now, he left. And I was sitting there thinking, hmm, I have nothing else to do. Let me read this. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Fellowship, what a great... Uh, fellowship sounds good. I mean, I'm, I was a single guy, and I... Fellowship sounds great. I mean, I don't know what the light is all about, but light is better than darkness, I guess. I mean, I like the sun. If we... Then it says, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And then I thought, blood cleanses from sin? Ick. I thought that. I thought, well, I'm not a sinner. I mean, I'm, I'm a good moral person. I'm, 
the president of the business and civic club in West Duluth. I run my, I run my own business. I give to charities. I mean, I want to be an upstanding, uh, outstanding citizen here. But then I read the next verse. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And at that very moment, I recognized God demands perfection and I am a sinner. I need a savior. And the only one sufficient is Jesus Christ. See, you can just use your testimony, just even a snippet of it, to let somebody know how Jesus has changed your life. But it takes work. It takes a lot of work, and then it takes practice. You have to do it, you have to do it over and over and over. Go with me to Luke chapter 10 quickly. We're almost done here. Luke chapter 10. One more text. You know what, you know what else really helps? When you talk about the message and the messenger, it helps to be with someone. It really does. It helps to, to not always be alone in your evangelism. Sometimes you just have to be one-on-one. All right, I don't like the Jehovah's Witnesses coming to our house. Actually, I do like it. I don't like their message, but I sure love to give them the truth. But the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, they're always two by two. Why? Why? There's strength in numbers. There is. When I was in Greece and Turkey on that trip with Dr. Schmidt, He'll tell you, I was bombarded with Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. Man, they just came after me with a vengeance, and Dr. Schmidt enjoyed that, I think. But I had these two girls. You want to know how dense I am? We're talking at dinner table. The two girls are college age, and we're like, oh, where are you from? Well, we're from Utah. I mean, I'm, not, I'm just thinking Utah, the state, like, big deal. Then I'm like, oh, where do you guys go to college? Brigham Young University. I'm still dense. I'm still I mean, thinking, I'm thinking Christians. They're thinking, you know. So then I'm like... And then I think it was Dr. Schmidt that said, Brian, they're Mormons. And I was like, oh, yeah, now I put it all together. Well, let's see, but from then on, but from then on, you know what? It just helped with Dr. Schmidt with me. We were going after, you know, a, a Jehovah's Witness. That was my roommate. We were going after the two Mormons. Not going after. You know what I mean when I say that? We, it was a teamwork. It was team. And so the Jehovah's Witness would always come to me in the morning and say, give me one verse where people worship Jesus. And I would give them a verse where the disciples fell down in amazement. Luke chapter 5, at the great draught of fish. And, um, and Peter gets down and, and he's astonished. And he, he kneels before Jesus and calls him, Lord, depart from me for I'm a sinner. And then the, the Jehovah's Witness would say, oh, that's not real worship. And, and, but then Ernie Schmidt would come right alongside me and say, oh, but what about this? And it was the two of us and it helped so much. So Luke chapter 10, when Jesus sends his, his disciples out, after these things... The Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. He always was sending out people in groups of two or three or four. There's always groups. That's why the, that's why the church is so important. I mean, our evangelism, it's a whole body effort. It's a whole work. I don't expect everybody to just go one-on-one reaching people. I mean, that's important. But I'll tell you what, there's something about being in ministry together, you know? Did, do you ever see Paul all by himself when he's traveling? No, he's always got a group of people with him, always. He's always with a group of people. It's Paul and Silas in Philippi in prison. The two are, it's Paul and Barnabas. When Barnabas and John Mark go off, then Paul picks Silas. I mean, he's not, Paul's not just going to run off Lone Ranger style. He's going to have ministry partners to work with. And so we need the church. We need each other. You know, that's going to make our evangelism much more bold, much more effective. So you have to know your message. Secondly, you have to use your testimony. And thirdly, 
just don't be alone. Just realize that we're all in this together. And then lastly, there is nothing more important in our ministry than prayer. All right? I'll tell, I'll tell you this again. There is nothing that you can do more for reaching the last than praying. Because all of your effort will be in vain. All of your love, your boldness, your consistency, your testimony will mean nothing unless it is the Holy Spirit who enlightens and opens up the mind. He is the one that convicts of sin. And we need to call on him to do that. So I want you to think right now. Think of one or two people as we close. One or two people that need the gospel in your life. Do you really love them? Do you weep for them? Are you willing to get some courage up and make, make an effort to, to speak to them? And how are you going to do it? What's your message? How, what, what, are you gonna, what are you going to address? Um, are you going to use your testimony? What part of your testimony? How detailed are you going to get? Are you going to have five minutes? Are you going to have 20 minutes? And, you, you know, if we think ahead, we can plan. And, and then, last of all, pray. We just absolutely need to pray and ask God to work. I believe God will do that. God will give us. I had other verses in, in the book of Acts. I had like three other texts to go to. But there's one where um, Paul is, is preaching in the synagogue, and the Jewish people won't hear him. But the Gentiles all gather in the city the very next week to hear the gospel, and the Jewish people are angry. They're like, well, what are you doing? Why are you talking to the Gentiles about this message of the Messiah? And Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 42, and he says, we have been sent out as a light for the salvation of the earth. And so Paul says that. And then it says, as many as were appointed unto salvation believed. So in that whole group that heard that message, not everybody got saved. Now again, I am not a Calvinist, just so you know. I am not a Calvinist. Where God says, heaven, 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 hell, hell, heaven, heaven, hell, and it's all predetermined. I do believe God is sovereign and he knows who's going to heaven. And so for him, those who he knew were going to heaven responded by faith in a Savior Jesus. By the way, although I'm not Calvinist, I'm also not Arminian. All right? So I'm neither. Um, I do believe in God's sovereignty, but I believe in man's free will. Man needs to hear the message and they need to respond by faith in Jesus Christ. And all who are the elect will be saved. God knows who the elect are. But um, we do need to preach the gospel. So pray. Pray because who knows in the next week, somebody that you've prayed for, God could answer that and, uh, and they could be saved. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Father, so much for these, um, just these thoughts that we've had from the scriptures about evangelism. We, we want a love for the lost. We want to, to love people. Because without the gospel message, they will perish. And we can't even imagine an eternity in a lake of fire. I can't fathom that. I think about the people right around this church who should they die, they, they, uh, they may perish forever. And so, Father, give us boldness as well. Just give us consistency that, so that we'll just always endure in handing out tracts and sharing our testimony and giving the gospel. Then I thank you, Father, that the message is so clear, it's so easy. A child can believe and be saved. So I pray for our Sunday school teachers, our junior church leaders. I pray for uh, Matt and Abby as they teach the youth. 
that our young people in our church would be saved. They would hear the gospel here and, and respond to it by faith. And then I think, Father, of our own family members that need the gospel, our community, there's so much to be done. And so give us a burden and give us opportunity to, to proclaim the gospel and see people saved. And you get all the glory. We just are excited to be part of this whole process. Thank you for choosing us to be gospel messengers because we have experienced the grace of God in our heart. Help us to simply relay that which we know and that, that which we love, our Savior Jesus. And may Jesus be glorified this whole week in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everybody, have a great, uh, great week of ministry. We'll see you throughout the week.